I'm Darius. And I'm Sam. And welcome to the Oxford Studio Podcast. This podcast is by young people, for young people, just to talk about the things that we care about. We're here to give you a voice, whether that's the voice of your creativity, your professionalism, or just something that you're doing that you feel needs to be spoken about. And if you want to get in touch and actually get on this podcast, you really can. We don't bite. I mean, we promise. And we genuinely, we promise. But the real question here is, are you listening? I mean... Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening? <laughs> Let's just get on into the podcast. Welcome back to the Black Lives Matter mini series. There are some themes within this mini series that may be upsetting to you. If it is triggering to you, themes of racism, bullying, and various other things, please we implore you to listen to another one of our podcasts that will be much more beneficial to you. Thank you, and I we hope you enjoy the Black Lives Matter mini series. Let's get into it right now. Hi there, it's Darius again. Welcome back to the Oxfordshire Youth Podcast. We are still in our Black Lives Matter mini-series and I'm so, so excited to invite you all to part two. Part two is called You Can't Take Our Youth Away. Talking so much more about activism, young people making change, and also I'm going to get to chat to an amazing company called the Mandala Theatre Company, which I'm super, super excited about because we are going to talk about so many interesting things from diversity <laughs> to systemic racism and how organisations can approach that and kind of stop it from happening as frequently, as well as many other things which I'm really, really excited to get into and just delve deeper into because we need to continue these conversations. As I said last time um, on the last episode, these conversations have to keep on going. If you've missed the previous episodes, um, the first part was called Young, Gifted and Black. I spoke to Steve Basanti, Tasha Johnson and Faustine, all exceptional young people that you need to go and check out because they're, they're just, they're changing the game. They're doing so many amazing things. Now today, we're going to be talking about young people in many different facets. The reason I wanted to call this part, you can't take our youth away, is because a lot of the time when you're looking in the news and you see the people who have been murdered, the black people who have been murdered, a lot of them are young. And when they're of a younger age, I mean, it's, it's a lot. I mean, obviously at any age to be murdered and gunned down or anything like that, it's scary. But being such a young age makes it even scarier. I also wanted to like flip that on its head because when I say you can't take our youth away, it's like no matter how much you tell young people to be quiet or how much you tell young people that their opinions do not matter, we will always keep speaking our minds and always, you know, stand up for what we believe in. Activism has been so much a part of young people's journeys, whether it's whether they call it activism, whether they call it working for change, it's been a part of what we have done from, you know, all of the activists that we see out doing things, they have all at some point in their lives, you know, been young and they saw what was happening was like, no, I can't stand for this. I cannot stand for this. When you look at some of the more, I guess, modern day activists that are out there, they have all started pushing for change from a young age. 
when you think of people like Malala Yousafzai, whose impassioned outcry for female education sent ripples across the world, so much so that she was the youngest Nobel Peace Prize winner. Like, that's exceptional. Emma Watson, amazing actress, and the way that she pushes for change for her He For She campaign with UN Women. Greta Thunberg and her unification of the youth for climate action. Like, everyone started listening about climate change. Every single person kind of was like, oh, wait, maybe this is something that we need to deal with. Because a young person stood up and was like, hold up, we need to change something. Amika George. Now, as I mentioned in the previous podcast when I was speaking to Faustine, she is extremely passionate about period poverty or ending period poverty. So is Amika George. She, she is such a, an amazing young woman who has pushed for ending, the ending of period poverty in this country. And she has pushed so hard that she is starting to make a huge, huge change. And Emma Gonzalez, you may remember her as one of the Parkland school shooting survivors. And since then, she has been a powerful voice in the advocation for gun control because it is so, so needed. All of these people are absolutely amazing and they just so happen to be women. Um, and I intentionally left out, I guess, quite a lot of the black people who are doing fantastic things within activism, within global change, because I wanted to just kind of prove a point. A name that you may not be very familiar with, Vanessa Nakate. She is a Ugandan climate activist, just like Greta Thunberg. And a couple, I feel like it was maybe a year, year and a half ago now, she went to this um, summit in Davos. And it was her, loads of other young people. And there was a picture taken, a picture taken of Greta Thunberg, two other um, white female activists, and Vanessa. And when that picture got published, it got published in different publications and loads of other places like that. And she got kind of erased from the photo. She got cropped from that photo. Now that led me, led me to question, like, that right there was a moment in history. We are, you know, we're, well, at the time, I think it was like 2019, 2018. We are now in 2020. Why are we still trying to whitewash history? Because it is not just white people who make history. We all do. Every single one of us, we make history. Another amazing young activist, Miriana Kopeni, also known as Little Miss Flint. Now, she has been tirelessly working to fight for change in the Michigan because they are still in a place where they do not have clean water. And as I said on like the last couple of episodes, their government has pulled out of the WHO. That makes no sense. Because if you're pulling out of a health organization, but yet there's like a whole place in your country that does not have access to clean water, it, do, it just doesn't make sense. Yet she is fighting so hard amidst this pandemic to still get people clean water. Ife Thompson, she is a barrister who founded Black Protest Legal Support which I feel like quite a few people now know about because during a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests in the UK, there was these um, cards like floating around online, um, helping people with kind of support if they ever got into, I'm air quoting this, trouble 
at a protest because you know a police officer didn't want them being there or they're making too much noise or anything like that basically it's like legal advice to kind of show you what your rights are as a protester and those other things i think what she has done is actually phenomenal temi mwale she is the founder of the forefront project a project to empower young people to live life free from violence isn't that amazing now this is completely linking to later on when I'll be speaking to the Mandala Theatre Company, because within all of this amazing radical change, we need people out there who are capturing everything. And Generation Revolution are two amazing directors called Usage Eunice and Cassie Qualis. They are capturing as much of the Black British activism as possible because it is so important. It is so important that it's captured, that it can be, you know, it's just history. It's history in the making and they are capturing it and we need more people like that. And that is why I personally believe that arts is like a huge catalyst for change. Because when you see activism done on stage, on screen, through music, that's kind of out of time when you're like, ooh, I feel that. I actually can relate to that. I, once you see something, sometimes you can actually kind of put yourself in that person's shoes and understand. So I feel like it's extremely important that we keep pushing the arts. And whilst we're pushing for the arts, we also need to continue to amplify black voices. Continue to amplify young black voices, marginalized black voices. Because we shouldn't just be doing it now just because it's trendy, just because, you know, Black Lives Matter, may still be trending on Twitter, I don't know, I don't really check Twitter that much anymore, but it may still be trending. But don't just do it because of that, do it because it is necessary to do so. In the same way that it is necessary, that it is completely necessary to have female voices in the room, completely necessary to listen to all people around you. And when we're talking about, you know, things on stage, on screen, things that we're listening to, I'm not saying that you can't be inspired or you can't, you know, hear something or see something that's been created by a white person and don't feel inspired by it. Because I have been many times, like so many of my favourite films are probably like from white directors featuring white actors and telling white stories. And they, they're amazing because there were certain aspects of it that I completely can relate to. But in the same breath, like, I want to see my stories reflected or represented and you know it being diverse all the way around so in front of the camera behind the camera on stage and backstage as well because all of that is so important in the application in the amplification of black boys it is I am extremely excited to be speaking to Mandala Company a little bit later on in this podcast. They are a dynamic, diverse, and female-led social justice theatre company. Like, come on, come through, this is brilliant. They train young people and tour nationally and internationally. Like, this is, I'm, I'm so excited to get into this because 
I mean, you probably don't know me, but I used to be a drama student in school. Um, I did I did pretty well, if I can say so myself. Um, <laughs> but I think I always felt, even during performances and stuff, I was always kind of pigeonholed, I guess. Like, um, a teacher would look at a script and be like, oh, Darius, you can say this part. And that part would be a stereotype of black person. It's like, well, no, like, why can't I play the lead? Or why can't I play, you know, the protagonist or the antagonist? Why do I have to play like this kind of side character? Like black people are not just white people's side kids. I know we've seen that so much in you know, the media and films all over, but we are not. We are the main characters, we are, you know, antagonists, protagonists, we, we, we can do all. Like, we are not just like the background sidekick characters, no. So I'm just deeply excited to be speaking to their artistic director, Yasmin. Um, it's just going to be amazing. She has had over 30 years experience working and touring nationally and internationally as, as a professional actor and director. So she really knows what she's talking about. It's just going to be amazing because she's also performed at the National Theatre, a place I love, and as well as being on TV and on radio. So this is going to be an amazing conversation and I'm super excited to get talking to Yasmin right now. Hello Yasmin, how are you? Hi, I'm very good. I'm really glad to be on the podcast with you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for agreeing to be on this podcast. Like you are doing so many amazing things and like every time I see you go live on Instagram, I'm just like, oh, what's Yasmin doing? Um, I'm like really intrigued and inspired by you. Could you let everyone listening or watching know who you are? Yes, yeah, so I'm Yasmin Sidwar and I'm artistic director of Mandala Theatre Company. And that's an Oxford-based company that we're really embedded in the local community, but we also tour nationally and internationally. And we, our whole focus is on theatre for social justice and work with specifically young people from black, Asian, minority, ethnic and white working class backgrounds. And I'm now adopting the term global <laughs> majority. And I think that the language is going to shift around how we talk about ourselves. Language is extremely important because when that's never addressed or checked, we'll just continue like saying things that are like archaic. And when you never kind of pull anyone up on it, it'll be like, hold up, why are we saying these things? Or like, where does this come from? It's really important that we address things like that. So I think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. And th there's lots of discussions going on I think across the country now about how the language is used so we've got to come to some agreement and I think it should come from people from those different backgrounds in terms of how we want to be defined rather than be defined by others. Yeah definitely so obviously like I'll add a little bit of research on you because that's what a good podcast host does <laughs> so you've had like 30 years experience working and touring nationally and internationally as a professional actor and director. Now I read that, I, I read that with like the biggest smile on my face. I read it like, oh yes, but this is amazing. Like how has that journey been for you? 
Well, I mean, I, I think it's had its difficulties, but I've been really lucky overall to, to have worked in theatre from when I finished my training, which was in theatre arts at Bretton Hall College that was affiliated to Leeds University and yeah. then became part of Leeds University. I've been employed in companies, which today I think that is much, much harder. Um, and I think right from the beginning, I've had a passion to use theatre to communicate and make a difference to the world. And then along that journey, you know, of course, you start to get into the desire for fame and ego comes in. And, you know, I was really lucky. I did a two year tour with the National Theatre and I performed on the Littleton and the Olivier stages. Um, and yeah, that was amazing. And it, we, yeah, fantastic. That was probably where I got the most profile and then I did a lot of rep and I did a lot of um, small scale touring and then international touring. Um, but you totally got typecast. I mean, you know, look at the way I look, look at the way I speak. And I'm not even going to do an Indian accent because in the before <laughs> I would. But, um, always I had to go up for roles and put on this fake Indian accent, which of course yeah. actors put on accents all the time. But it was a bit like, can I not be cast as a Greek person or an Italian or, you know, Turkish, Middle Eastern, or just me being, you know, mixed race, dual heritage, Asian and white. There was never, well, one radio play, because I did six radio plays for Radio 4, one could I use my normal voice once I had to be the voice of all Indian women. So you're a bit like, oh, I, ca I cannot play another role like this. I can't yeah. do it. And of course, with some companies, so the tour with the National was brilliant because we were putting in a lot of ideas. But I think I was also one of those actors that loved to be involved in the creative process. I wasn't, I don't like to not <laughs> put input in. So I think that's where my love of directing, and I also ran workshops and directed right from the beginning of my career. So, and then, yeah, worked in a venue, you know, at Pegasus for 17 years, which was amazing. Having a, a venue that was, we, we, you know, did up this venue that was sort of falling down and had to raise seven million pounds to make it how it is. But then after 17 years, I really wanted to focus on directing rather than managing all the programmes that were going on. Um, and I knew I couldn't do that and stay in that job. So I set up Mandala. And also, although Pegasus was very much about inclusivity, Mandala is specifically really going for giving parts and pathways and training to those from the global majority and white working class young people so it has a, a very focused remit and it's been hard because what drives me nuts I've done this for 30 years and then I am told oh but Mandala's new and you go so the person that is running Mandala and doing nearly all of it at the moment, because I haven't got money for more staff, my yeah. 30 years is not transferred 
to this company I'm at the beginning so yeah you can see there is frustration but at the yeah. same time I love what I do so I really can't complain it's absolutely amazing I mean like I feel like for anyone to get to a place that they love they have to go through like certain like trials and tribulations to get there and I, when you said about being typecasted I, I can relate to that wholeheartedly because when I was in doing GCSEs and A-levels I, I was in love with drama I still love drama but I just love it in a different way now and every time my teacher would be like oh do you want to you know play that black boy in the hoodie I'm like no I want to play the lead like <laughs> what's what's you what, what's your issue with me playing the lead? And then they'd be like, oh, but the lead's white. Where does it say that in the script? And I, I, I called a teacher up on it. And I was like, please tell me where in the script does it say that this person is white? And she was like, nowhere. Where in the script does it say that this person is black? And I was like, nowhere. So why are you typecasting me? Like, why are you typecasting me? You literally looked at the script, saw a thug, saw someone in a hoodie and was like, oh, yeah, Jazz can play that. I'm like, no, that's not me. <laughs> that's never been me. Um, and I... I but I really, really kind of have that respect for you because it's like you have gone through all of that and you've got to a place where you're like, you know what, I'm going to create something of my own, something that's going to help so many other young people. And I think that's absolutely amazing. There's a quote that you said, um, diversity is not about ticking boxes. It is, about, it is time for radical change. What did you mean when you said that? Well, again, you know, I don't want to sound like, oh, I've been around for so long, but I, this idea of diversity, equality and inclusion, we've been talking about this forever. We've had umpteen reports and reviews and, and it's like, no, that is not enough because nothing apps actually really changes. So what I mean by radical change and you know, I'm part of a big a working party with all the cultural organisations in Oxford at the moment to really look at radical change. Because, it, you know, the only way you're going to get real radical change is people have to give up power. They have to share leadership. They have to open up the, the funds, the, the positions, um, the decision making you have to put your words into action it's no good saying oh we're going to give another big organization the funds to then hand out the money to the to those diverse people that we want to get involved or yeah. oh there's such a problem trying to recruit people from those backgrounds and you know if we really want this shift we've got to do something radical and i think you know that's what we're talking about in oxford if we could be a, set an example of what is possible and what is radical that would be amazing but you know the big thing is that we're living in a system that has structural racism but i think in whatever sphere of work we're in or wherever we are we should be demanding not in a horrible way, not in an attacking way, but demanding radical change. I wholeheartedly agree with that, <laughs> um, which I feel like leads perfectly on to like another question I had for you. Um, as a company, like, how do you feel like you have approached systemic racism? Like, how do you feel like you've approached it in such a way that, you know, 
it's it's not really seen so much like obviously it exists kind of out in the world and other places but it's like as soon as people come into mandala it's like no like we're all here to do the same thing we're all here to work together and do do this brilliance and anything that is pitted against us in the world is not going to affect us in here like how how have you cultivated that kind of society within mandala well i think partly it's the focus so people know you know i will never have a cast for mandala young company that isn't at least 50 percent from the global majority then there will be white working class and i would never say no to white middle class young people either um, but it will be at least 50 percent and that I will always make sure that happens with the professional casts because of the way we're looking at the world and the content we're creating the casts will always be predominantly from you know the global majority they might be 50 50 because of the content we need and we always work with diverse writers now i want to go further i want to get involved you know marketing people who are from those backgrounds technical um producers um yeah everybody that i could and so that's why you know being based at the college we're going to do a lot of placements and offer training in those roles and you heard me talk about it today the youth leadership course yeah. within the environment of the space and the 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 way that we work a we're not saying we're colorblind we're we are acknowledging our yeah. differences and celebrating them as well as finding out what our similarities are and and having a sense that yeah we together we are one group of people that have a want to make a difference to the world that want to um look at look at issues that are raised we won't shy away from it i mean took a group was it last year uh or the year before no yeah last year last year to yeah. international festival and there was a, a performance that had what we felt was like blackface that was oh. you know, within us a fairy tale setting yeah. and the company could not understand what we were talking about we tried to talk it in a really yeah ad admiring their theater and their yeah. work but saying why have you made these choices and do you realize how offensive we find this they just did not understand it only later have i had some emails going we didn't get it and they thought that yeah we were being really attacking and attacking them for being racist it wasn't that it was ignorance about yeah. the images you put on stage you've got to be aware about how they'll be read what you are trying to say with them and what you're not so it's about yeah be, learning and unlearning and so yeah. i think uh, the young people in mandala feel very safe to express whatever they want to express as long as nobody's insulting anyone and everybody yeah. feels like they've got a space to be heard and be seen i think that, that's amazing i think so many businesses like no matter what field they're in can learn so much from that because 
as you said previously, like we live in a world and a society where things are very much institutionalized. So you go into like a work setting or into an office or the, the simplest thing I, I can give, which I found recently is if you go onto Google and type in professional haircut and unprofessional haircut, why are all the unprofessional hairstyles of like Afro-Caribbean heritage? It makes no sense to me. All the professional hairstyles are all like, you know, um, Caucasian, Eurocentric, and that's the disparity. So then when you walk into a job interview and you have, you know, a hair that, you know, is curly like mine, um, or like is a different like wave pattern, you can walk into it and people automatically think like, oh, you're unprofessional because of your hair. And it's like, well, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a professional. I'm just as professional as you. I'm just as qualified as the last person you interviewed, if not more qualified than them. And you've just looked at me and made that assumption. And I feel like if we can create those spaces that, as you said, are safe for everyone, safe for them to express, safe for them to, you know, let you know if they, something's happened and that they've been offended by it, because we, we all need to have space to be able to do that. Doesn't matter if that's based on race based on gender based on anything like we all need to be able to have that space to be like actually no sorry what you just said offended me and can we like address this and move forward because obviously like in businesses or at work or even in friendship groups or families you really don't want to be like hitting those kind of blocks every single time you want to be able to like address them and be like let's move past this I forgive you just don't do it again and I feel like those are extremely important conversations that we need to continue to have because like that's when we get things like this moments like this where we are on a podcast talking about you know institutionalized racism and so many other things that affect so many people um even though this podcast is called the black lives matter mini series black lives matter is not simply just about black people it's about so much more because when you look at racism, it doesn't just affect black people, it affects Indian people, it affects, you know, Chinese people, Japanese people, um, people from Latin American heritage, it affects so many people. And then outside of that, it affects like Eastern European communities who come over to the UK and try and get jobs and people are like, oh no, you can't get a job because you're Eastern European. But why? <laughs> and it's, there's so much work that needs to be done and I'm so, happy that you are making so many amazing steps to put that work in because it's so so needed well it's amazing because i didn't know that about google and it's terrible <laughs> i mean that is blatant racism that's not yeah. even this is professional not professional i mean i'd probably be called unprofessional because i haven't got neat hair but you know that's how it is and that's how i am but uh, yeah i I mean, the whole Black Lives Matter thing, I don't know if we'll come to talk about what that means later, but it is, yeah, it's brilliant because it is about challenging all of this wherever we are without being accused of having a chip on our shoulder or, you know, always having to be defensive. It's yeah. like, well, no, it, this, this is an education. This is about learning and unlearning. And, and people need to be open to that because, you know, before most recently, people haven't even been able to address any of this. Like yeah, at least we're start, starting to have these conversations. These conversations are needed. Um, 
as I said on previous episodes of this podcast, these conversations will not stop. They're not going to stop now. Like it's it's like you know opening a can of worms. Like it's not going to stop. It's going to keep on going. <laughs> um, but yes, as you said earlier, like you work with obviously professionals, but you also work with young people. Like what's that experience like for you? For me, that's just been what I've done forever because I think all young people are creative. I think you've just got to untap what they bring. And I specifically choose to work with young people because to me, you are much more vibrant, open, energy. There's an energy and an excitement. Um, And so I love that. And so the young people that I've worked with in Mandala Young Company, a lot of them have worked with me for a long time. So they have a real trust in the way that I work. They know that I'm really open to what they bring to the process. So it's not about me telling them what to do. I might yeah. have a theme or a play or a script or a text, but it will be all about what they want to bring to it and what their unique talent skills input is um and often what i'm trying to do with mandala young company is then give them the the tools to be able to audition for the professional company and if it was a real pipeline from the mandala training courses right through to the young company and into the professional company and then eventually uh, succeed me you know that's (laughs) what mandala should be all about yeah. So, but I'm here to stay for a while yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, as I, as I've been saying, like I've been so excited just to sit down and chat with you like this. And also, you have brought some amazing young people along with you. Who who are they? Right. So I have brought Luis Ribeiro, and I probably hope I haven't said his name wrong, so he'll have to correct <laughs> me. And Lewis joined the company two years ago. So he did our last show, which was um, Lucifer and Miss Primrose, which was an outdoor fire theatre show with a group of fire performers from France. So they came over to Oxford two years ago in April. Yeah, no, not this April, just gone, the one before. And we work together with the performer actors from Mandala Young Company. And it was, the the script was adapted from a Paolo Coelho book. And we created this outdoor fire theatre performance that was performed in uh, Florence Park for two, two performances and two performances at Gloucester Green. And then we went to France and we re-rehearsed and performed it as part of their big festival to crowds because in Grenoble they've they've really got used to theatre. I mean we had good audiences here and I think people really loved it and I love working with fire but obviously it was a big deal. So Lewis was in that show and then he was going to be in this show this year which is a play called Blood Oil by Sean Byrne, which was going to go, we were rehearsing it in April, but COVID stopped that. We would have been in the Offbeat Festival in Oxford, and then we would have gone to the International Theatre Festival in Ramallah in Palestine. So all of that was postponed, but we're going to do this next year. So Lewis will be joining that, and he's been on panel discussions with me, and he's part of um, a 
the current online creative project being me. And then Akasha Daly, so she, I better own up, she is my daughter, but she's been <laughs> in the since she was four. And she is now studying physical theatre in Germany at the university, wow. Volkswagen University of the Arts, where Pina Bausch, the dancer, studied. And, you know, she's passionate about theatre and about creating, because there they learn to create their own solo shows. And she's a really good choreographer. So she often, at the festivals, she's been asked to... Um, be the choreographer for the big 150 uh, audience, uh, not audience, cast. And she, yeah, she, I often bring her in now to Mandala Professional Company to choreograph because it, I'm not a dancer, but she's got those movement skills. So yeah, they, they're going to bring their own take on all of this. Awesome. I'm so, so excited to get to chat to them. They will be here in literally no time at all. So guys, just get ready for so much more amazing conversation because oh, you guys aren't, you guys aren't ready. You guys are not ready. Just prepare yourself. Just prepare yourself. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? Are you prepared though? Okay, cool. Let's get into it.